All right, Bibles. Open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 44 is where we're beginning this morning, continuing our way through Joseph's life story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we really do love you, Lord, and, and our hearts are overwhelmed at the privilege that we have to call the Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, our Father. Thank you for being perfect. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for giving us an abundant and joy-filled life in your beautiful son. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the body of Christ, for the family that's in this room, Lord. And for those who aren't here this morning. Lord, we're asking that you would meet us here. That you would bless us. That we'd encounter our Father through your word and through your spirit. And through the wonderful fellowship that we have with one another. Let us hear you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we went through Genesis 43, looking at especially Jacob's heart in that passage, where Jacob was the one who had to let go of Benjamin. He had spent 20 years trying to protect, trying to isolate Benjamin from any harm happening to him, but to be able to um, enable the entire family and the entire community to survive, God had put him in a position where he had to send Benjamin to Egypt so that they could get food. But in this, looking at the idea, and we're going to sit in this further this morning because we're going to see a picture of it, of just being able to let go of all of those things that so easily hinder us all of those things that we think that we have control over, all those things that we think that we're keeping from God, that we're hiding from God, that if we let go of this, if we surrender this, there's, there is damage that's coming in the future. There is harm coming my way if I give God control of this person, of this attitude, of this circumstance. So we're watching. This is the whole idea as we follow Christ, this idea of death to self. And taking up our cross as we follow him in the way. So in that process, we also sat in the idea as, as the brothers were making ready for Joseph to show up at this, at this feast at Joseph's house. And again in chapter 43, this idea of that we are told by Jesus in the New Testament that we are to be ready for his return. He gives us very clear instructions not to be deceived by others, very clear instructions about what we're not supposed to be doing, about what we are supposed to be doing. But again, this all sits in this idea of that we are waiting, we are pursuing, we are praying for, we are longing for the return and the coming of our King. And this whole idea that we have an active relationship, it is God who has saved us. It is God who changes us and transforms us and conforms us into the image of his son. But it is very clear that we have an active role in this relationship. We are to pursue him 
We are told that the greatest commandment in all of the Bible is to what? To love God. With what? Sitting on your backside or loving him with all that you have? Your mind, your heart, your time, everything that you are. God's command to us is love me the way that I love you. Pursue me the way that I've pursued you. Be involved and active in this relationship. As much as it has to do with you, make yourself ready for your coming king. And that is not a burdensome thing. It is not a striving thing. It is not a mournful thing. It is a beautiful privilege and humble privilege to have a relationship. A relationship. Think about that word and what that means. Intimacy. Conversation. Knowledge. About one another. Both ways. The privilege that we have of, of having a relationship with the almighty God. That if he were to manifest himself in this room in all of his glory right now, we would all drop dead because these bodies can't physically be in his appearance. But he is making us ready for that privilege for all eternity. Amen? Now what's real in regards to this relationship is as we yield and let go of all of our Benjamins, whatever that looks like, whether it's that first moment that we step into a relationship with God or whether it's those next steps that we continue to have every single day, as we are making ourselves ready, as he is making us ready, that in that process comes testing. And that's what we see that Joseph is doing to his brothers. At the end of chapter 43, we're given this description that, uh, that Benjamin was given five times as much uh, food and attention as the brothers. And what Joseph is attempting to do is he's trying to stir up envy and jealousy in his brothers to see if it's still there. Because if you remember, they were envious and they were jealous to the point of willing to murder Joseph. So now all this time that's gone on, Joseph is testing their character. He's testing their hearts to see if the old man is still in the brothers. And this is what God does to us. He tests us. He puts us into what we refer to as that refiner's fire. And he burns out of us all of those things that don't belong here. And he's patient he is loving, he is compassionate, but boy is our God persistent in rooting out of us all that does not bring glory to him. So as we process through chapter 44 this morning, we're watching Joseph continue to test the brothers, to test their genuineness, to see if there's been any change, to see if what they've said about his father, Jacob, is true. And now he sees what's true as they brought Benjamin back Joseph is sitting in the comfort that they didn't kill my brother. They hated me, but they haven't hated Benjamin. So let's uh, read through the first 14 verses here in chapter 44. It says, and he commanded, so Joseph commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the, in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup 
the silver cup, and the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city, were not yet far off. Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them. And he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves." And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it, it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. So we searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes. And each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, far be it for me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. So we're going to start here at the end with this question that Joseph in this test is presenting to the brothers, which is this. Benjamin was just set up, but they don't know that he was set up. Benjamin looks like he's the thief. Benjamin is, is the one that Joseph wants to hold on to as a slave. And Judah and the brothers say what? Praise God we can get back home and get out of this God-forsaken land of Egypt Good riddance to Benjamin, I have my freedom. Is that what they say? But is that what Joseph is testing to see if they'll say? What he's trying to do in this whole process is to expose truth, is to expose reality. What's really on the inside of my brothers? And the only thing that defines, that gives us that truth is the demonstration of behavior. Because we can say with our mouth all the words that we want to say. But it's the behavior that backs up those words, yes? So here, Judah and the other brothers are clearly backing up with their words in regards to their brother Benjamin. I'm not going home 
without Benjamin. I'm not going to leave Benjamin here as a slave by himself. I don't know how this happened. I don't know what's going on. From their perspective, it's God's found out our iniquity. He's found out our sin. And there's questions from the commentator like, what, is, what does Judah mean when he says that? Is he only referring to the cup that's been found, that God's found out? Is that the only statement? Or is this really digging deep that God, what is going on in our lives is, is, is a direct result of what we did to our brother. God has found out our sin. We sold our brother as a slave, and now God is making each one of us to be slaves. Seems to be that that is what God is drawing out of them. It's what he's drawing out of them personally and individually. It's what he's drawing out of them so that Joseph can hear and can understand the change that's happened in his brothers. Now I want to back up to the beginning of this chapter because here's a theme that sits over uh, what we see going on. And this is the idea of redemption. It's the idea of ransom. It's the idea of atonement. So in the Old Testament, whenever you see silver... Usually, its imagery is associated with the idea of redemption. And this comes out of, in Exodus chapter 30, is one of the uh, scenes where God is giving the command that whenever you number the people, whenever you conduct this census, the price of your life, the price of numbering each one of the males 20 years and older is a piece, this piece of silver money. And that's what is, uh, is the idea that's going on um, with the silver and its imagery in regards to redemption. The other one is in regards to when God chooses the tribe of Levi rather than the firstborn sons, the firstborn sons of Israel need to pay this silver money, this redemption price. It's the price of their life. So again, as we sit in this this morning, this, this imagery, why silver? It's pointing continually to redemption. What was Joseph sold for? Joseph was sold for, the price of his life was 20 pieces of silver. What was Jesus sold for? 30 pieces of silver. So the, the volume changes, but the imagery remains consistent. In regards to the price of life is defined by silver in the Old Testament. So it's this idea of ransom money. It's this idea of redemption. It's this idea of atonement, which is a covering. We're going to see this again today. The idea of, of clothing and garments is going to come up. Judah, uh, Joseph was betrayed. Um, you know, his father gave him this, this garment that set him apart from his brothers. So we've watched this idea of garments continue to come up over and over again in this imagery. And the imagery of atonement, again, it's not that God is hiding your sin. It's not that he's just covered your sin and moved it away. It's that he's changed the appearance. He's totally removed our sin from us in that redemption price that Christ has paid for us, the ransom that he paid for us through his blood, through his body. He is changing us in this life, in this sanctification process. These words in the New Testament, justified the moment I step into a relationship with God, he has declared me to be just, just as though I had never sinned. In the walking process of the way of following Jesus, it's a sanctification process. 
where he is changing my appearance. He's changing the appearance of my heart. He's changing the appearance of my mind. He's changing the appearance of my words, of my behaviors, making me ready for that day of glorification. When that day, when all of the promises that he has conveyed to you and to me through Jesus Christ, that day when we are made in his image, it comes to its culmination. And this, this is the idea of ransom. This is the idea of redemption and atonement. This covering, this price that's been paid for your life and for my life. And we're going to sit in this imagery as we go through the rest of chapter 44 and 45 this morning. But in this, I said that we began here at the end and just coming back to this question as we move forward. Because clearly, if you're familiar with the story, we know how all this works out. But what would you hold on to thinking that you're saving your own life? Again, we talked about this last week with Jacob. Here the brothers are presented with the opportunity. You can go free. You can preserve your own life. And I'm just going to keep your brother here. But here we're watching this sacrificial love for brothers for another brother. And watch how this attitude flows out of Judah as the representative for the brothers through the rest of chapter 44. So verse 18, it says, Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the Lord cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. Think what a powerful sentence that is right there. Exactly what Jacob was holding on to. And the, other, the understanding that the other brothers had of Jacob's affection for Benjamin... And how much they've changed because that, that was the same attitude that they were willing to kill and or sell Joseph into slavery. The lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was. When we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out for me and I said, surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, 
when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant, talking about himself, became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Look at the transformation that has occurred in Judah. And we talked before that that scene where the brothers are plotting Joseph's death. Judah speaks up and says, don't kill him. Let's get a prophet out of him. So it's Judah's words that cause Joseph to be sold in the first place. In chapter 38, we watch Judah and his sin with his, with his daughter-in-law and all that went on there. And now here, so we have a couple of snapshots of his history. And again, what a radical change has to occur in the character of a man to be able to do what Judah does here. Because in this, they, they find out that their younger brother, Benjamin, the one whom their father loves above them all, clearly. They find out he is the one who is guilty of being a thief. And their words, this is, this is hyperbole where they say, you know, whoever the cup is found with, let him die. It's, they're, they're stating that in a way of saying that this is beyond the character of any of us. It's incomprehensible that any of us would steal a silver cup from, from Joseph. We don't need it. We brought down the old money that you gave back to us. We brought down new money. There's, there's no reason. Just whoever, if you find this cup with us, then whoever is found with, let him die. And then they find out, again, there's this, if we sat in a movie scene, it was we watched the servant go from the oldest brother down to the youngest brother, the time that that would take, the suspense building that that would take. The brothers are probably becoming more and more confident in their position. But then when that cup is finally found in Benjamin's sack, the agony the anguish. Again, that's what the tearing of clothes is. It's, it's the mourning of somebody's death. Whose death are they mourning? Jacob's? Benjamin's? Are they mourning their own sin? And what Judah does when he approaches Joseph, out of his mouth comes confession. God has found out my sin. He's always known it. But he's the one that is not allowing me to hide from my sin any further. He is the one that's exposing it to me. And because I've hidden to, from him, he's, he's bringing the sin out into public view. Judah begins with confession. And then as he goes on in this, in this speech of intercession on behalf of Benjamin, 
Out of his mouth is coming an abundant love for his father and an incredible depth of loyalty, not just to Benjamin, but to all of his brothers. Because here, Judah is providing this image of Christ for us. That Jesus was willing to give himself over to become that, to become sin, our sin, on the cross. Again, the, the, the demonstration of love that that conveys, the demonstration of Judah's real love for his brothers, it's, it's overwhelming. And it's not just for his brothers, it's for his dad. So we sit here and talk about Father's Day this morning. The, the love that this man has for his dad, even though his relationship with his dad, he had a hard time with his dad. He had a hard time with his brother Joseph. He had a hard time with the other brothers. That's why he left. And again, you can't just glance through the change of heart. What would have to happen in your heart? What has happened in your heart? to get from the old man to where you are today? And are you in this Judah interceding position today? Do you love your earthly father this way? Do you love your earthly siblings this way? Do you love your heavenly father this way, sacrificially, willing to give up your own life, even though it's not your fault, you didn't do anything wrong in this circumstance? Give my brothers their freedom. I'll be your slave. Beautiful picture. And it's in that, again, his confession of sin, his love for his father and his loyalty to his brothers. When Joseph watches Judah, says he can't restrain himself anymore. Look at chapter 45. Joseph could not restrain himself. Joseph's been putting on a show, right? He's been pretending to be somebody else on the surface. And when he sees true love, he can't hold back anymore. Trust me, these are tears of joy. Yeah. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with Joseph while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, we're going to read all this chapter and come back. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. 
And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children and your children's children, your flock and your herds and all that you have. There, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all you have come to poverty. And there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. And go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fats of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver, again, that imagery of redemption, and five changes of garments, again, that picture of atonement. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the goods, good things of Egypt, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and we saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Powerful story. In this, there's, uh, there are seven, as we go through there, we're going to just walk through seven um, meditation and or application points as we, as we look at what's going on in Joseph and the brothers and in Jacob. 
And the first thing is in verse 3. Joseph has to tell him twice, I am Joseph. He says in verse 3, and then he says it again there in verse 4. I am Joseph, your brother. And this is the imagery that we see in the New Testament. This is the imagery actually we see over and over again in the Bible. When the news first comes to the ears of the hearers, often people respond in unbelief. I don't believe it. I don't believe you. I haven't seen it. I haven't smelled it. I haven't touched it. I didn't experience it. I I don't believe you. I don't even believe my own eyes and my own ears. Because here, Joseph told everybody to depart to get out. So it's just Joseph and his brothers. He is no longer speaking to them through an interpreter. He's speaking to them in Hebrew. I am Joseph. Again, this is one of those things is is we sit in the New Testament. You have this imagery that goes on. When Jesus comes and says, I am the Messiah, did the majority of the Jews believe him? No. Are they going to believe him the second time he comes? Yes. And here we have that imagery of him saying it twice. We can sit this, uh, you can sit in this with the disciples after Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus manifests himself in their presence, and it says that they have doubt and they have disbelief. They don't understand what's going on. They're fearful. Je- uh, Thomas, unless I can put my finger in the, in the holes in his hands and in his side, I won't believe. Jacob, at the end of this chapter, first hears the news, sitting in unbelief. I don't believe it. But upon further information, upon further meditation, often in our relationship with the Lord, we look at his promises and we say, God, I just, I don't believe you. I don't believe your promise. I don't believe it's for me. I don't believe it's going to happen that way. And it usually does take a little bit and a lot of God's spirit to break through our thick heart, hard hearts, um, to get us into this position of, Lord, I do believe you. I do understand. I do know. I am growing in this. When they are first, again, they're, they're sitting in this information, one of unbelief. It gives this idea that they're dismayed in his presence. And the word dismayed there is horrified. Do you remember the first time you had that, that spark that adult spark, that real heavy spark that God is real and that if I am not his and he is not my God, do you remember that trembling? Do you remember that horror? Do you remember that fear? This is where they, this is where they just, they are coming to terms with who is standing before them is their brother. Everything is just flooding their minds right there. What they did to their brother that is standing right before them is filling them with fear. What is going to happen to me? I sinned against him. I wanted him dead. I was willing to kill him. I sold him. I have no idea how he's standing before me in this authority, but the last time I heard this man's voice, He was crying out to me for mercy, and I ignored him. Do you remember what it's like to be caught in your sin? The horror of that? 
the fear of that, the hopelessness of that, the death of that, the disgust of that. That's what the emotion that they're sitting in. And that is what sin is to well up in us and is to produce in us. The, the reality of sin in our lives ought to be a horrific thing. Because it's not hidden from God. He sees it fully. He knows it intimately. It was placed on him on the cross as he willingly died for that action, for that thought, for that word, for that rebellion, for that thing that's in you that apart from his life will cause your death. That's the dismay. That's the horror that these guys are sitting in. Joseph, in the midst of their horror, what is his exhortation and what is God's exhortation to you as you come to him in confession? Does he want you to sit there in your disgust and your filth and the horror of that and how could God ever forgive me and change me and transform me? No, look at Joseph's words and let these words sit deep into your heart. Let them sink into your mind, into your heart, into your relationship with God. Do not be grieved or angry with yourself. One of the hardest realities of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not that initial joy of turning to him and understanding who he is. And it's, it's beautiful. It's that being able to forgive yourself. When you're reminded, when the, when the flesh and the enemy in this world or a person throws up in your face your sin, something that you did in the past. Something that you're involved in right now. Something that God, through his grace, his mercy, his love, and his compassion for you, has forgiven you of. That he died for. That he removed from you. Wednesday nights, we're sitting in Philippians, and Paul talks about that, that uh, I'm forgetting those things that are behind I'm reaching, I'm pressing on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. In context in that passage, Paul is forgetting his persecution of the church. Talk about a transformation of heart. The man who is willing to murder believers of Christ now becomes a follower of Christ. The passion that he had for his Savior, the passion that he had for his brothers and sisters, and to be able to stand before him and say, I don't live in the past. Don't be grieved by your sin. Be freed from your sin. Don't be angry with yourself. Your anger for yourself does not bring about God's righteousness in your life. God will bring about his righteousness in your life. Trust the words of your almighty God who looks to you and says, I have forgiven you of everything. I love you. You're mine. I want you. I love you.
I've changed you. What was your death? I took from you in exchange. I gave you my life. Joseph is doing that exact same Christ-like, God-like behavior towards his brothers in this passage. In our relationship with God there in verse 11, as we obey him, as we follow him, we abide in this continual reality that I will provide for you. God will provide for every single need that we have. And what I want us to do in learning from that is I want us to learn something from Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh says in verse 20, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. As Pharaoh is speaking and giving command, he's telling Jacob, he's telling the sons, don't care about your stuff. Don't give mind to your possessions. What's important is people. I have a very uh, hard time with this. I'm a very task-orientated person. I'm really good at tasks, going through my checklists. But in me, God has had to transform my heart of Blake. It's, it's not that you've accomplished the task and you're getting this good feeling that you've accomplished a goal that you had. The provision, the blessing is the relationship that you have with me and that you have with other human beings. The task that you are doing, that, that you're performing, it's for my glory. The task that you're doing and that you're performing, it's for the benefit of those that are around you. Whether they know it or not, I see it, God says. And I will provide for you. And the provision, yes, he provides for our physical needs, but what does Jesus tell us to do in the New Testament? Set your mind, set your heart on the kingdom of heaven. Put your mind on me. The task that you're doing, what you're processing through on a daily basis, let it be for me. And then this is what it starts to transition into because the reward that's given where Joseph is giving them garments, He's over and abundantly just pouring out gifts upon Benjamin, 300 pieces of silver, five changes of garments. The reality in our relationship with God is he does reward us. But this is where, again, we have to be free from the heart attitude of possessions. The reward that God is promising to us is himself. If you do what God tells you to do, you will be rewarded with a deeper, more intimate, more passionate, joy-filled, peaceful, restful relationship with the God who loves you. Does this make sense? Yes, he will provide for you the material things. He'll put you in the positions that he needs you to be in. He will provide for your food, your clothing, your shelter. But the most important reward in the life that you have been granted is Jesus Christ. Now and forever. We are told to 
lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Pursue the reward. You can't send your possessions ahead of you. So in that teaching that Jesus gives to us, he's talking about the reward of our relationship and intimacy with him. And I don't know what that looks like in difference and spectrum for all eternity. But the Bible is very clear that there are least and greater in the kingdom of heaven. Just as Benjamin is given more reward than the rest of the brothers, not because Benjamin deserved it, but because this is what Joseph wanted to do. That reward, what that looks like for us each individually, the reward, it's wrapped up and bound up in him because all of us are co-heirs with Christ. All that he is, all that he has is ours for all eternity. But the reward that's promised, it's him. The reward that's promised in this life right now, it's him. It's not your stuff. And it's the people that he surrounds you with, especially above and beyond the relationships that he has blessed you with in the body of Christ. The men and the women, your children, your friends that God allows you to interact with, they're not there for you to just squander and to take from. They're there for you to be in intimate fellowship with. First John talks about the joy of the fellowship that we have with one another in the body of Christ. And truly, our fellowship is not just with one another. It's with our Father through his Son. Beautiful, beautiful imagery. The sixth one is look at, and again, we, uh, I mentioned this at the very beginning, is in our life. When we understand, when we get our Joseph back from the dead, whether that's Jesus' resurrection, whether that's your own personal revival, whether it's the life of somebody else. Have you ever prayed for somebody for an extended period of time? There is no way that that person's ever gonna get saved. There's no way that they're gonna submit to Jesus and they finally submit to Jesus. The revival that not only happens in their life, but that happens in your life. Again, this is one of those rewards, but Jacob is sitting, he has been sitting in for 20 years. He thought his son was dead. The brothers thought their brother was dead. The imagery that we have in this is the resurrection and the revival of life and relationship that comes from that. And what is Jacob's pursuit? What does Jacob want to do? My son's alive. It's enough for me to see him. And this old man is doing whatever it's going to take so that he can go see his son before he joins his fathers in the grave. And the last thing, just as an exhortation and an encouragement that we hear from Joseph that we need to receive and that we need to sit in, comes out of verse 24, which says, See that you do not become troubled along the way. And literally, it's see that you don't tremble along the way. 
The way is the term that the New Testament uses very early on of what it means to be a follower of Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus, our Messiah, Jesus, our Christ, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord. We are following him in the way. And the encouragement that we have from him, his voice to us, is see that as you are following me along the way, that you don't stir up trouble for yourself. That you don't start living in the past in trembling Because what are the brothers afraid of? As they leave Joseph and they go on that journey back home to dad, they have to tell dad uh, his son's alive. Are they meditating on how much of the story that they're going to give dad? They have to come back and see brother and live underneath the authority with bended knee to Joseph. Is there opportunity in their minds and their hearts to question Joseph's love for them? When dad dies, when, when Jacob dies, the brothers tremble. Which gives us the knowledge that throughout their life, they have a question mark. Whether Joseph's love for them is true or not. Is Joseph just waiting for dad to die because he doesn't want to bring down dad's gray hair to the grave by killing his other sons. But when dad dies, brother's going to take care of us. We're going to be his slaves. He's going to kill us. I don't know what he's going to do with us. This is the meditation of their heart. As Joseph is telling his brothers, see, you see to it. It's not God's responsibility to see that you don't become troubled and trembled in your heart and in your mind. This is something that you need to see after. And that when these emotions stir up within yourself, you take them to God so that he can provide his comfort to you. So that he can transform your mind and your heart as you follow his son on the way. And the way is to where? It's to life. It's to provision. It's to this beautiful heavenly land that we are promised in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Forever and ever, our God abiding in the midst of his creation that he loves. Isn't this a beautiful story of our God and our Savior? I love the imagery that we receive out of Joseph's life. Worship team, come on up. Let us pray as we turn our hearts back to vocal worship. Father, we want to give you thanks for redeeming us, for buying us, not with silver, but with your very own body and blood that you chose to be clothed in because of your abundant love for us. As we follow you, Lord, we want to be free from the fears that we, that so easily gripped our hearts and our minds. 
Father, we all struggle with unbelief at who you are and your words and your promises. We tell you, Lord, that we want to believe. We want to zealously and passionately believe and follow you. Often, Lord, we don't find it within ourselves. We're fearful, we're trembling. We need you to come in in your power, in your holiness, in your godliness, in your majesty, in your lordship, and take control of our minds and our hearts and our lives. We need you, Lord, to to light up our path today and tomorrow. So we follow you in this way, Lord. We want to be rewarded. We want you, Lord. We want to know you. We want to understand you. We want to feel you. We want to see you. We want our lives to count for your glory. We want others, Lord, just to fall madly in love with you. Lord, we want people to be free from sin and addiction and from bitterness and hatred and disobedience. We want to be filled with true liberty and joy, boldness. That crazy man, Paul, that you chose, Lord, he's, he's so encouraging to me. I want to have that kind of passion and diligence in my relationship with you. And Lord, I give you thanks that I don't have to sit in grief and in anger. I don't have to wallow in the, well, I should be more than I am kind of emotions. I just get to open my hands and die to myself. And I get to trust you. I get to follow you. I get to love you. And I get to be person that you created me to be. Love you, Lord, a lot. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.